Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever. Welcome to Tuesday's Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, trying to keep up some kind of regularity, rhythm, whatever you want to say, between Tuesday and Friday. Tuesday being, well, at the moment, it's being the posting of some of my old uh, YouTube discussions on various bands, which I'm going to start again. Go over to my YouTube channel, just search Alan Averill, you will find me. You can follow me on Instagram and nemthiang underscore primordial, primordial underscore official. Um, Coming up on this Friday in a couple of days podcast I'm going to be talking a little bit about mental health a little bit about musical prejudices um, just it's going to be a little bit more music based I'm going to keep the politics you know at arm's length for the moment keep the cultural commentary at arm's length but there's some interesting things happen in the metal world in the musical world so I'm going to keep on that tack for the moment you can support the show over at patreon.com there's other songs, rehearsals, there's discussions, there's some writing, there's some other podcasts, all that kind of thing. So, today's podcast, Better Late Than Never, for your evening enjoyment and delectation, is my dissemination overview of the career of Merciful Fate, um, one of the greatest heavy metal bands, and coming back this summer to play shows. Um, so... What better time than to go over their discography? Of course, this originally was a video, um, you know, a video monologue on my YouTube channel called Call from the Grave. But here it is repackaged as Tuesday's heavy metal chat. If you've seen it, then fair enough. We'll see you on Friday. If not, well, then merciful fate is your fate. Let's get into it. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Call from the Grave number three. Who are we going to do today? Um, well, it's Merciful Fate. I was born in the cemetery. 
Merciful Fate. Right. Call from the grave number three. This is Alan from Primordial. Let's get into this and let's do this. This is my appraisal of the career of Merciful Fate. I'm not going to get into King Diamond. We might do another video for that. But um, originally I wrote this as a, uh, I suppose, I wrote about this as an article for Zero Tolerance when the band announced that they were about to return to play festivals. Um, and then, of course, all of this situation happened. So there was, of course, an incredible amount of excitement among um, everyone when Merciful Fate announced that they were going to, um, they were going to return. Um, but it might come as a surprise to many of you that, um, especially in the 90s and the late 80s, Merciful Fate wasn't really um, worth that much at all. Well, not worth that much, but at least not discussed, not considered in the reverential way that it, that they are now. Certainly um, in the mid-90s, you would have been roundly mocked by an awful lot of people for wearing a Merciful Fate shirt, if you could ever find one. In fact, even the records themselves were hard to find. The CD reissues of the first couple of albums were um, quite difficult to come by, as was the original vinyls. Um, but we're going to have a look at this. Um, but there was definitely a moment in the 90s when Merciful Fate was definitely very uncool. Um, King Diamond wasn't the uh, pop icon that we know now, the guitar hero icon. And the sad fact is that for a generation of metal fans, their introduction to Merciful Fate was the band being mocked on Beavis and Butthead. Uh, sad but true. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid there isn't a more cool and cult way to express that opinion, but that's true. Um, so anyway, let's go and have a look at Merciful Fate. I've got a few bits and pieces here, a few surprising opinions about some of their albums, um, probably some very unsurprising opinions about other albums. I mean, look, let's be honest, it's Merciful Fate. Um, so it starts somewhere back in the late 70s with Bratz, Denner and Sherman and The King, um, The King's Teenage Angst Stepping Stone Band, um, dropped by CBS the trio regroup. You can find this demo album uh, somewhere or other. I don't actually have it, but you can find it if you want to go back to the beginning of where they came from. And they reform as Merciful Fate in 1981. Um, the early demos, let's see this. The early demos are actually regrouped on an album. I'm going to start with this before Nuns of No Fun. They're grouped on an album called Return of the Vampire, um, which is the rare and unreleased, which I actually found on CD way, way, way back, a long time in the early 90s for like one pound or something in a, in a gift shop. This is the re-release on vinyl. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, you asked for it, MDA, leave my soul alone, death kiss. You, this is the early stuff where you can hear the band beginning to take shape. And most definitely you can hear that um, Megadeth or Metallica, well, Metallica at the time were obviously listening to these demos. I mean, um, some of, uh, I think it's MDMA or MDMA, MDA. Um, you ask for it, sounds like Whiplash, etc. Um, definitely and absolutely worth trying to find if you want to start, start with the demos and all that kind of thing. Really great record, horrible cover, mind you, but you know. What can we do? Um, so Return of the Vampire is the kind of where you can hear the demos and stuff, and if you want to start in that kind of order. So um, most of these, all of these early releases have been bootlegged on vinyl to death now, and it's um, a real insight into the rapid progression of the band, if you can track it down. Um, and the, one of the first things that strikes you about Nuns Have No Fun um, 
is this is an absolutely electric record. It crackles with um, vibrant energy. It's one of the most affirming records I have ever heard. And it may sound really strange, but tracking this down in the 90s, this is the original um, copy of it here, um, which has the really amazing original uh, typed lyric sheet, which is um, yellowing and decaying in my hands. Um, but tracking this down was um, like finding, you know, um, a very elusive, very, very elusive treasure. I think at the time it was the most amount I ever paid for a record uh, sometime in the early 90s. Um, you heard about it. It was kind of mythical. Before the whole vinyl trend started again and you could find everything on, this is pre-internet, pre-eBay. Um, it's an absolutely incredible record. The difference between the demos by songs like Death Kiss and stuff and the step up to this, it is just staggering that a band this young could sound. It sounds like a band who are just literally practicing to the nth degree every day, honing their writing skills. Corpse Without a Soul, Nuns of No Fun, um, Devil Eyes is absolutely amazing. It has a kind of almost shuffling disco beat, which um, was something the band utilised every now and again and really set it's one of the things that really set Merciful Fate apart I mean even by this record they're head and shoulders above nearly all new wave British heavy metal bands when it comes to being able to play the solos are off the charts Denner Sherman um, without a doubt one of the greatest heavy metal EPs of all time and the King's hysterical helium diabolic Halford ghoulish stab in the dark crowns all the riffs and there are riffs and there's also Michael Denner's leopard skin pants which are quite the thing um but even then they looked fucking cool um i mean timmy grabber on the back of this rest in his soul um looks exactly like every young buck at muscle rock tries to look with the you know heavy metal molestache um and you know maybe a little inspiration for the the ghost dudes on the standing around this um rather well in uh, buxom young woman who's about to be burnt at the stake um but if you can find it, of course, it's, um, it's tracking down. The original is uh, one of the th you know many things people occupy themselves with. For some reason, I have also this on a split CD with Evil, Evil's Message, another Danish band. Um, I don't know where the fuck I got this, but Evil, Evil's Message, as it is a good companion to Nuns of No Fun, if you can find it. It's a really, really great record. Anyway, Evil. Um, Nuns, of no Nuns of No Fun, yes. Um, as I said, one of the greatest heavy metal EPs of all time. It's there within the sign of evil, haunting the chapel, um, all the Metallica 12 inches, that kind of thing. And already with Merciful Fate, there's something, I often talk about this when I do these kind of band retrospectives, and that is the tone of bands from the 80s, which is something that is kind of lost now um, in the greater art of heavy metal. And Merciful Fate is so singular so individual i mean you can hear judas priest obviously from the 70s you can hear uriah heap you can maybe hear wishbone ash and a lot of other things um this twin guitar attack heavy metal is maybe stained class is the great is the biggest pre merciful fate reference point but there's just something else going on there's something singularly original about fate even in those early demos and early kind of um early uh releases you know i gotta slow down a little bit I'm getting excited, getting excited. Melissa, I mean, full marks, right? 
arguably arguably the greatest heavy metal debut of all time. Um, I certainly wouldn't hear, I would hear any argument that said the same thing. Um, it's there with Iron Maiden, Kill Em All, Show No Mercy, The First Wasp. Um, whatever you want to match with it, probably Melissa has it. Uh, it's a bold, staggering record, um, individual album. It's full of character and an, a sort of occult mystery um, that at the time the press took to another level. I've been trying to find all my press clippings that I usually have in all of these records, um, but they're a miss somewhere. Um, but at the time the press really took the whole satanic evil angle of Merciful Fate to... Uh, the nth degree and they lent into it and you could do that back then because you had no access to the musicians you know access like this which would devolve or you know dilute the mystery um and legends are born in those first 30 seconds you know you think you think prowler but evil is just um, iconic. The opening riffs send should send the hairs on the back of your neck into overdrive. It's, like I said, um, it's beyond the beyond. Um, easily one of the greatest heavy metal records ever made. This is the original Roadrunner records. Even the iconic photos on the back. I mean, Hank in his Hawaiian shirt somehow still manages to look kind of cool. The king, I mean, the, the touch, the little touches of the, the inverted cross and the, you know, um, Michael Danner staring off into the middle distance. Timmy still looking like a muscle rock extra. I mean, it's just the sound of a band who are on fire. It's electric. What do you want to know? Diamond Head is also probably a good, uh, a similar reference of influence, I suppose. Um... And then, don't break the oath. Um, I mean, what can we really say about this one? Um, it's equally as staggering. And, and also, as I said before many times in these, in these or will say, I doubt repeat to myself to death, is the tone. The tone and the attention to care and detail. And don't forget back then bands were not cutting and pasting and dropping in and that kind of stuff. The attention to the musicianship and the detail and on this record is off the charts. The drum sound is absolutely incredible. The layers and the vocals. There is This is a band at the peak of their powers. It's, um, it's absolutely staggering, the composition. You can go and watch Denner and Sherman on YouTube playing the riffs with each other from a couple of years ago, which is really even still quite fascinating to watch the way they were harmonising. Um, I mean, Come to the Sabbath, Gypsy again, the shuffle, disco, beat, Night of the Unborn, Desecration of Souls. And um, again, the picture on the back, the king in the chapel. I mean, it all adds to the whole mystery. And the record cover is probably one of the most iconic um, covers of all time. I mean, um, I, can't, I couldn't imagine how many people have this tattooed. We've all probably thought about it at some stage, right? Interesting thing is apparently Roadrunner turned it around. It was originally the face was here and the you know finger was pointing here and the logo was here. And I think they made the right decision changing that around. But it's, of course, absolutely iconic. The dark tone... Um, it's more macabre and ghoulish. It's less sort of instantly metal than Melissa. 
um, the layers, the tone is richer and wider, and there doesn't seem like a note out of place. I mean, those two records, without a doubt, two of my, I mean, two of the greatest heavy metal records of all time. Um, you'd have to give them both uh, full marks. I mean, I couldn't see any other way around it. And like I said, the interesting thing was, in the early 90s, tracking these down, uh, you found them for four or five pounds in secondhand shops. Nobody was talking about Merciful Fates. One of the things people don't really realize, um, who maybe aren't of a certain age, is that when the 80s ended and the 90s started, it was very much out with the old, in with the new, in with Florida, Morrisound, um, death metal. Uh, thrash was dying off. Heavy metal was kind of on its last legs by 91, 92. Certainly by the mid-90s, it was kind of done uh, commercially on some level. Um, MTV had jettisoned its shows. There was no... The 80s seemed like um, a very distant memory. Primordial started in 91 and we were doing covers of Celtic Frost uh, and we had to announce like, oh, this is Circle of the Tyrants by Celtic Frost, um, not by Obituary. It's very strange, but there just seemed to be a total move against all of the stuff from the 80s and death metal was king. And a band like Merciful Fate, liking them in the early 90s was literally... Um, it's very hard to explain to people because like, they don't really understand because Merciful Fate is about as cool kitsch um, and I mean that with all due respect, it's about as cool as you can possibly imagine in the last 10 years. But there was a time in 91 or 92 or 90 where, um, you know, literally you were roundly mocked for liking it because of the vocals, because of the imagery and everything was about board shorts and shorts and death metal singing about the environment and stuff. And um, nobody wanted to hear about these records. And despite the fact that uh, 84 to 90 is only a six year difference it seemed like a lifetime, like an eternity back then. Um, and whereas now, of course, 1990 is over 30 years ago. Um, but at the time, 80s metal seemed like such an anachronism, even though it was only four or five years since it had been literally at its peak. Um, but Merciful Fate remained this enigma. Um, and yet in 18, 1985, the band split. Sherman, I mean, maybe as evidenced by his Hawaiian shirt imagery, uh, Wanted to go in a more mainstream hard rock direction. The King refuses and they split. Um, Denner leaves with the King and we get Abigail and they start a new chapter, King Diamond, um, which I might do another video about King Diamond. Um, but that's another story, though. You can find um, The Beginning, which is um, a really great record. Um, it's BBC Sessions. Uh, I used to only have the cassette of it, which I don't have the cassette anymore. The record looks amazing. But, you know, BBC, you've heard of them before they were a non-impartial news service. Um, but yeah, they used to, you know, do uh, sessions, you know, peel sessions kind of things for bands. So you can find the beginning is uh, variations on the songs, Doomed by the Living Dead and stuff, that are on Nuns Have No Fun. It's a slightly different um, version of it. This is a kind of weird double CD thing, kind of cheap things, and that's what I listen to it. Another thing which is really strange is that um, if you, for example, have the CD of Melissa, which this is the, uh, I guess, late 80s, early 90s CD, you'll find different tones and things thrown into the mix. It sounds really weird, but backing vocals that aren't there on the vinyl. This seems to be a very common thing in the 90s for people to fiddle with the masters and reintroduce things without really saying anything, which now would be, of course, talking points on forums, but back then was just, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to put that keyboard bit back in that I left out in 83 and not tell anybody. Again, unmastered, 
Um, there's a lot of dodgy 90s masters around when you're buying, especially late 90s, early 2000s, where people tried to win the loudness wars. People um, went way overboard with trying to make everything as um, most extreme volume, trying to alter drum sounds, make them more modern. So if you are out there still buying CDs, um, you probably aren't. But um, remember that the bit rate, for example, even on Spotify or something is not the same, if I've explained that properly. So um, try and buy the vinyls is the answer. What else have we got here? Um, Black Masses, Black Funeral. Um, there's a bunch of 12 inches, especially the Black Funeral 12 inch. Black Funeral as a song is one of the most iconic and sort of um, darker songs that um, Merciful Fate wrote. This very long, um, complex, epic song that I think informed a lot of proto-death metal almost. Some of the riffs, I think you could almost say... Um, were you know inspired the likes of Immolation or Incantation and um, death metal bands like that. Is Merciful Fate black metal? I say yes, because I think it's about the arcane subject matter. Uh, I mean, we can get into this on some other YouTube, um, you know, maybe the podcast or something, but black metal for me has no particular sound. It's the, the, the black part of it is about the tone, the aesthetic, the intent, the spiritual arcane aspect of it. However way you want to view that is up to you. But Merciful Fate is black metal, Venom is black metal, Mystifier is black metal, The Herit is black metal, Rotting Christ, Blasphemy, and they all sound different. So if you think that black metal is just welded to the sound of Dark Throne from 92, I'm afraid you're wrong. Right. As I said, 1987, Roadrunner released The Beginning. Uh, we can comfortably say to cash in on the King Diamond name, but this is also worth checking out, as I said. Um, and it's one of the... My, for my first introduction, introductions was a King Diamond Merciful Fate compilation tape. It was called A Dangerous Meeting. Of course, I can't find it. It dropped in 1992, almost at a perfect time for when the Norwegian black metal and all the other black metal bands, second wave, were exploding. And people were beginning maybe to wonder a little bit about... Um, the 80s bands. I mean, black metal, as it came back in second wave, reinvigorated Venom, who I'll do one of these for, Bathory and Celtic Frost. But still at the time being round and being into Merciful Fate, it felt like Fate was outside the box simply by virtue of the vocals. And the fact that it was sounded so heavy metal, black metal people of the second generation just couldn't accept the fact that it was black metal. Um, and the amount of people who couldn't live with the vocals back in the day kept Merciful Fate sort of out in the cold just too heavy metal for the grim and frostbitten in 92 and 93. Things were going to change, though. But I'm going to tell a little story before we get into that. So, in 1996, maybe seven, I went on a random holiday to Greece. Um, yeah, I'll put this up a little bit easier. You can maybe see. I went on a random holiday to Greece for a week. And back in the time, Greece was just heavy metal capital of the world, practically. And um, yeah, at least there were so many heavy metal shops. There was just, uh, you know, so many metalers around. And um, it was one of the first times I met all the guys from Rodding Christ and Necromantia who'd been pen pals from 1991, 92, and all that kind of stuff, Varathron. Um, and just wandering around at the time, walked into a metal shop and said, hey, is there any gigs? And the guy went, yeah, Merciful Fate is playing this Saturday. Now, in 96, the idea of seeing Merciful Fate 
which was this is before Dynamo really in 97 had embraced some of the old heavy metal again, but everything in the mid 90s was just this horrible stuck mojo, cold chamber, blah, 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 whatever that sort of mid 90s um, flannel shirt, white zombie stuff was going on in the whole of the, um, uh, you know, Anglo-centric world, especially an Ireland stuck in the middle. This is just what people liked. Everything was just all about um, what all that stuff, which, of course, I detested. I mean, stands to reason, right? So, merciful fate, just randomly happened to be playing. Bought the ticket. Here it is. Um, and it was very strange. Myself and um, the girlfriend at the time went down and it must have been a, a big, big indoor venue, maybe two and a half, three thousand people. Um, very kind of old fashioned um, cinema style, huge drapes across the stage, all this kind of stuff. And um, there was an announcement in Greek and the audience started to boo. And we were just standing there going, what the fuck is going on? This is, you know, I'd never seen so many boot runners, um, skinny jeans and fucking, you know, uh, bangs and molestashes since 1987, 1988 in Dublin. It was like going back in time 10 years. It was great, you know. But the band started without King Diamond, just bam, 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 And the audience, you know, I was born in a cemetery or whatever. The audience started singing. The bass player, I guess Charlie D'Angelo, egging on the band. And there was no King Diamond and we were wondering what the fuck is going on. And then about two... About into the second song, he just came out with um, his baseball cap on backwards, sunglasses on, dressed normally with no makeup on, and went, oh, I can't really sing. Oh, my voice is gone. My voice is shut. And we're like, oh, fuck. He can't sing. So he stood on the stage and he did a little bit of kind of lower singing and all, and just pointed for the high bits. And it was kind of a Merciful Fate gig. They played about nine, ten songs and finished with King Diamond. Um, sleepless nights and it was a really really strange experience for it to be so in luck as to catch merciful fate um and this was i think on the back of um the album into the unknown um which um as much as i love megadeth is a great companion to uh some of the mid-90s megadeth but i'll get to that um and it was an amazing experience to see Merciful Fate. And I didn't realise that I was going to get to see them two years later at the Dynamo Festival anyway. But so bizarre to get the so much good luck tech there that they're actually playing, but yet the king the king couldn't sing. I bought a t-shirt then which fell to bits. Um so I don't have a fancy old Merciful Fate t-shirt to show you and make you jealous, I'm afraid of that. But what I am going to discuss is um the canon of albums in the 90s, which I think is vastly, vastly underrated. And I think there's an awful lot of newer Merciful Fate fans who not really even ever listened to them. I've talked about some of these albums with people before and they've gone, wow, what? Why would you listen to In the Shadows? I'll tell you why. The band came back, In the Shadows. Um, it's a masterpiece. It's okay, so maybe not... It's not Don't Break the Oath. It's not Melissa. But In the Shadows is an incredible return. Uh, it's a stacked with bangers. It still has a diabolical swagger of those riffs. The production is massive. The King sounded huge. Egypt, the Bell Witch. I mean, 13 invitations. Take a listen to this and tell me this isn't an absolutely incredible record. It's not the 80s. I get it. Um, and at the time, 
I mean, at the time I put this as a companion piece to Triumph of Steel by Man of War and just after Painkiller. And 91, 92, kind of the last gasp of some of this kind of heavy metal before it sort of disappeared. Merciful Fate went on to release more albums, which I'm going to get to. But um, Lars Ulrich plays on Return of the Vampire in 1996, uh, stuck there on the end. Um, and it is a great record. It's an absolutely great record. If you're listening to Modern Attic or something like this, um, and you want to know, you know, go to the Prime Mover. Well, then it is this. I, I think a very great companion is um, to that is the Bellwitch EP, um, which is a really cool little addendum to the record, which I don't have on vinyl. If anybody has it, give it to me. Um, but it's got some cool live stuff. It's got Curse of the Pharaohs from like LA in 90, the return gig in LA, uh, Black Funeral Live, very cool. Um, but In the Shadows is a is a great record. Um, and all sits just behind the canon of those first two. Um, and then comes the album, which I think an awful lot of people were introduced to via MTV and unfortunately Beavis and Butthead, because it was, it's time. And it's, you know, the witch's dance was the song with King, with the big, you know, black Doberman and everything. And this was the song that... Um, was on heavy MTV rotation at the time and brought a few new faces to the table of the Merciful Fate discussion, but also some form of mockery as well. But it's um, it's all there. It, this is, an, uh, again, another absolutely stellar album. It sounds huge. Um, it's got swagger. It's got tone. Sherman and Denner tearing it up like Tipton and Downing weren't able to anymore. Um and certainly amongst my friends at the time, this one began to wear their resistance down. They, all my friends who'd been resistance to Merciful Fate in the early 90s, um, or 1990 or whatever, were, or 89, 91, 92, whatever, were slowly kind of beginning to concede that, yeah, there were some pretty cool riffs. But still, the singing kind of put people off. But iconic again, iconic looking record cover, simple, staggeringly effective. Um, get it. Where are we now? Yeah. And this is the album that I really wore people's resistance down. Um, this was, I played this record to death at the time, 1996. Um, and it still stands tall for me. Um, Metal Blade, I mean, Metal Blade released all of these records in the 90s at a time when heavy metal was kind of about as uncool as you could get, was really on its knees. And they kind of, stood up for heavy metal on those terms with these Merciful Fate albums. I mean, like I said, the production, the care and attention to detail, these um, was quite incredible considering the time we were in where everything was just about, as I said, flannel shirts, cargo shorts, um, down-tuned riffs and purple hair and whatever all that stuff was. Merciful Fate stands completely in opposition to that. Um, there's a, you know, 15 men and a bottle of rum, listen to the bell, the uninvited guest. Um, it's, it's, um, got so many killer riffs on it. Not as, not objectively, not as memorable as time or in the shadows, but this is still the sound of a band who had riffs to burn. And don't forget at this time, Maiden and Priest were making, um, what they were making in 96. Uh, I mean, you've got, I guess, Jugulator. 
uh, and you've got where, you know, priests trying to be modern and down tune, Iron Maiden are stuck in the middle of somewhere horrible with Blaze Bailey. Um, and there's precious little real uh, heavy metal out there, in a sense, that sounds as still as vital and essential as this. You know, you've got newer bands coming up, but um, certainly a great record. And tell me it doesn't have a tinge of Megadeth to it. Yeah, I'll probably have to do a Megadeth one of these. Um, this is, however, uh, 1997 is where we get the first blip. Oddly enough, I remember doing a fanzine at the time and um, arranging an interview. And guy, I got Hank Sherman on the phone. I cannot find the cassette tape of the phone call. It would be quite interesting. But I had all of the questions arranged for it to be King Diamond. And then it was like, hello, this is Hank Sherman. I was like, fuck, every single question was just not relevant. Um, it's dead again. Um you know, if I if I gave the first few full marks, uh, you know, the last through last two, nine out of ten, nine out of ten, in the shadows, eight out of ten. This is the least played Merciful Fate album for me in the canon. Um, I went back to it when writing, when listening, when um, preparing for. Well, I, don't, I mean, look, by now you figured out I don't really prepare that much. Uh, I just pull this out of my, um, you know, antiquarian grey matter, um, whatever's left of it. Um, this is the least played album I went back to it it leaves me a bit cold um, perhaps it was inevitable after the the greatness of the few before but it sounds a bit like an afterthought I think it has Mike Weed on it um, as I think that by now Michael Denner has gone uh, and Mike Weed who was with Memento Mori who wrote I think an acoustic intro for is it Black Candles or something on Nightfall maybe that's proper nerd stuff now he was in Hexen House Memento Mora, um, I guess a kind of stand-in guitar player. I think he is an is in the new edition of Merciful Fate, the one that is supposedly coming. How you can leave out Michael Denner, I don't know, um, but it seems to me to be a ridiculous um, idea. But whatever. Um, dead again. I mean, you should have it in your collection, but it's something of an unloved stepchild for me. I know some people who, you know, swear by it. Hey, Thomas. Um, and it certainly, it certainly looks great. But it didn't do much for me at the time. Maybe where I come, trying to think of where I was in 1997 um, in relation to all that stuff to consider maybe why I didn't give it the time of day. I'm not too sure. But it's the 6, 7 out of 10 blip, you know. So then after seeing Merciful Fate headline Dynamo um, and then come back and go from headlining the main stage to opening the main stage on the day of Metallica, I remember correctly. And I remember running across the field in Dynamo because I heard bam, 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 bam. Me and Simon, uh, who was in Destroyer 666 at the time and Assaulter, literally pulling up our fucking pants to run, to stream across the fucking field to try and get to the front. And, you know, you were able to because, well, you know, it was two in the afternoon or three in the afternoon. And the album that Merciful Fate were kind of playing was Nine. Um, and it was Broad Daylight. And Man of War headlined that year, actually. And Fate stole the show, certainly. Um, this is a, a great record. It's a sonic tour de force. It's harder. It's more direct sound. It has more st strident, aggressive purpose and remains one of my go-to albums from the 90s, right at the end of the 90s. 99, I guess it is. Um, it's... You know, Kiss the Demon, Last Rites, The Church of St. Anne, 
House on the Hill, Burning Hell. I mean, it's um, it's a great sign-off at the end of the 90s. It's a great record. Um, and one of my favourite Merciful Fate records, um, one one I played many, many times at, at the... During the during that uh, end of the '90s period, which is a very strange time for heavy metal, because we had yet to get the likes of the Watanes and Devil's Bloods and all the underground occult bands regenerating the underground scene and this third wave of black metal coming back in. So that whole era from '92, '93 to '98, especially '96, '97, '98, were a kind of wasteland for heavy metal and certainly for a band like Merciful Fate. They weren't really touring touring and even king diamond by 99 2000 i remember primordial being offered a tour with king diamond in 2001 2002 which i think einherjer did instead we couldn't do it and you know the venues were three four five hundred people um if they certainly weren't uh you know the headlining festival band that they are or hopefully will be um then the interest was you know not huge i'm sure and by all accounts the album sold well um, and there's some great footage of, I mean, Merciful Fate Rock in Rio and stuff in the 90s you should check out if you can find it online. The band was always in root health, and musically, and Nine was a perfect way to sign off the 90s. Uh, and definitely, all of those records, all of those uh, Merciful Fate 90s records in the canon, if you don't have them and you think, oh, Merciful Fate is only about 1983 and 84, um, Go and fucking order them because they are great, great records and they won't disappoint you, um, is my humble opinion. Now, I've probably talked more about 90s Merciful Fate than 80s Merciful Fate. Some great stories from back in the time. I remember reading in Kerrang! about how Merciful Fate and Manowar went on a European tour and fell out so spectacularly and reading all the bitching and backbiting between Manowar and Merciful Fate in 83 and, um, you know... If you can find some of those old magazines, if I can find any pictures of them, I'll stick them up. Melissa, what have we got here? We've got Don't Break Our Nuns of No Fun, Reissue Picture Disc, etc., etc. Um, and that was kind of it. Merciful Fate disappeared in the 90s, or in the end of the 90s, into the 2000s. And, like I said, heavy metal was in a strange period. And now King Diamond is a pop, a popular icon, a pop icon, a genuine pop icon decorated in the Guitar Hero Wars, um, and his face paint became almost recognisable to anyone outside of heavy metal. You saw um, how it became something, you know, referenced in, like, Lady Gaga and uh, pop music, and, you know, it wouldn't be the first time I walked by a shop to see, um, you know, like a one-off dress with, like, King Diamond makeup on it or something like this. He became a popular icon, and I guess that's what happens to many of these, uh, to a lot of people, is what goes around comes around, and if bands just hold steady and try not to modernise, eventually the times come back around to them, and all of these new generation of people kind of realise when they pick up Don't Break the Oath, for example, and go, and they just... Um, they just go, Jesus Christ, listen to this fucking thing, and it's not... It's, 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 you can get enveloped in the mystery. Um, every decade, there are new people who are discovering this record and discovering the mystery, the mastery, the, 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 the sonic um, excellence of it, or just the, the element of the other that Merciful Fate had so perfectly um, captured in those early 80s. Um, they were a band that I loved always, you know, I, 
I th- guess I heard them before my prejudices were formed for the kind of vocals. I, I loved Candlemas. I liked high pitched singing. It didn't bother me that the you know in the same way that for it bothered Testament or Nuclear Assault fans. So I was always into Merciful. F- you know, always, but uh, and always you know. Um, standing up for merciful fate and this kind of stuff. And yeah, went from roundly being mocked for that to merciful fate being, as I said, a sort of MTV kind of like um, chuckle, chuckle kind of thing to people beginning to come around then. They'd accepted in the second wave of black metal, a reinvention of Venom, Bathory, Celtic Frost, Hellhammer, Angel Witch, bands like this. And they began to give, as New Wave versus Chevy Metal began to get a little bit cooler, merciful fate, the kudos that they deserved um so you know uh hopefully i've seen merciful fate a few times but hopefully now next year we get back to normal we get out of this situation you know if you've listened to my podcast you'll know my thoughts about whether that's going to happen or not um who knows but hopefully a version of merciful fate will sit in place to play festivals next summer and a whole generation of people can get to see them again um, because, my God, this band has everything in spades. Um, perhaps the greatest heavy metal debut of all time. Perhaps the greatest sophomore heavy metal album of all time. That's the right word, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's, it's all there. The riffs, the vocals, the tone, the attitude, the aesthetic, everything. And the devil has all the best tunes, my friends. Um, so, how would I conclude? Full marks from any of these. Almost full marks from most of the ones from the 90s. One, pretty good, but... Below par album one, and that's it. Um, so get those '90s albums, get into them all. Merciful fate, imperious and glorious. What can we say? Hail Satan, my friends. Call from the grave. Three is merciful fate. I thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.